Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Okay, folks, let's uh, gather back. I love the conversations. I hope they continue uh, as we make our way later to the patio. But yeah, really grateful for uh, just, again, an opportunity to speak um, to you all. I know I don't take these Sundays lightly. Um, You know, we are entering into the second week of Chef's Choice. Um, It's where the teaching team basically shares, um, you know, what's been uh, on our hearts and what God is... um, has been showing us, and I've like, you know, thought about this long and hard, and um, yeah, I want to just come and share just some stories that has formed me as a person that I hope somehow you can glean from that will um, just help all of us. I also know that um, if you don't know, I'm, a, I'm one of the pastors here, but I, I want to say that I don't speak as the pastor today or, or any Sunday where I'm the authority. Um, you know, as pastors, we don't speak on behalf of LBCF. We speak as like one member um, where we hold different things in our heart, different ideas, different thoughts that even in the teaching team we disagree on. Um, and so I say that because if there's anything here that might make you feel, oh, that's uncomfortable, and you know what, um, that's okay, and I want to be open to the conversation. And I especially want to get to know you. If there's some things that you want to like chat with me about um, and just hear more from me, I would love to have coffee or tea or lunch with you, especially those of you who are new. Um, if you want to know more about LBCF, please you know, reach out to me or any of the pastors. And yeah, we'd love to talk to you more about the community and, and life here at LBCF. But uh, again, thank you for um, yeah, again, this opportunity. I want to start by saying that um, I'm Filipino. Um, I was born in the Philippines in 1966, and my mom told me the story often that when I was born, I was born with very light skin. And she called me the Mestizo Baby. I was known as the Mestizo Baby in our, our province, and you know, she would say that the neighbors would gush over how, how beautiful and how light skin I was. And so that was something that like, was very valued and, and centered in the area that I grew up. Well, we moved away from the Philippines when I was four years old. Um, and as a little kid in the U.S., I loved to play outside. I was always outside. And going outside all the time, I got really, really dark. And so by the time I was 10 years old, um, you know, my, one of my aunts passed away. And um, my mom and my siblings, we returned to the homeland. We um, got on the, on the plane, um, went over there, um, took a taxi all the way to my province. And I'll never forget uh, getting out of that taxi, and it had been years since my mom had seen her siblings and the family. And so I remember the relatives just hugging my mom and, and just like so glad that my mom and us were back, you know, home. And one of my relatives asked, where's Danny? And I was standing right next to my mom. I was 10 years old at the time. And my mom pointed to me, and, and, and she said, here he is. And I remember um, what one of my relatives said. 
she looked at me and she said, oh my God, he got ugly. I remember just like wondering what was that about. Um, I honestly didn't know how to respond to that. But as, as I, you know, grew older and I understood more about like cultural Filipino values and embracing of just trying to be as light-skinned as possible. You know, I, I learned that, you know, 20 years before I was born, Philippines was finally, um, you know, liberated and became independent after almost 400 years of colonization, both from the U.S. and Spain. And as a Filipino, it explains a lot um, of why my parents and relatives looked at Americans and Europeans in an idealized fashion. I had vivid memories growing up of my mom pinching my nose so that I would like have more of an American nose. Um, she would get mad at me for playing outdoors. She literally would take me to the doctor to ask the doctor, how can we make my son get taller like the rest of his friends? And so at an early age, I was socialized into believing that my brown skin and an Asian body was seen as unattractive, that my shorter height made me less masculine and desirable, and, and don't get me wrong here, my mom loved me to death. And I have felt nothing but love from her, but like other Filipino moms, socializing into believing that Eurocentric standards of beauty was idea, ideal, it, it translated into believing that flat noses were bad, dark-skinned Asians were undesirable, and shortness was less masculine. And this this thing was not only perpetuated by my, my relatives, but, you know, even in the way I shop. I remember I went to the grocery store, you know, looking for some, for some um, skin lotion to buy. And, and this rack of lotions, every single one had a skin lightening formula. I couldn't find any that was just skin lotion. Everything kept reminding me that I needed to get lighter. And so somehow this was embedded like in me and, you know, this standard of beauty was not perpetuated only in the Philippines, but there became this globalized collective consciousness that was, you know, brought towards, you know, so many different areas of the world where beauty now, you know, um, the standard of beauty has become, you know, it's, it's getting close to a trillion dollar industry a year. Well, what I didn't also know at the time was how important this journey was for my spiritual growth. That there was something intertwined with my inner spirit and relationship with God and my acceptance of myself as a dark Filipino man. Well, what I didn't know was that this transformation um, was going to take me places that were unrelated. Um, it was unrelated how God was going to show me the multifaceted expressions of beauty in so many different ways. And I remember on my 10-year class reunion back in 1994, this was the day before Facebook and social media where you couldn't, like, you know, keep in touch with your friends as you do now. And so I remember going there at the Queen Mary, like, wondering, you know, where are all... How, what are all my friends doing? How do they look now? You know, and it, I remember going there by myself um, at the time and, and just waiting um, to see if there was someone I recognized. And sure enough, there was this one guy um, 
that came running fast towards me, and he was so excited to see me. And, he, and we hugged, we embraced, and he said, Danny, guess what? I was just crowned drag queen, um, Miss Drag Queen USA. And he was just so proud of his accomplishment, and he kept telling me, like, this is what I had to do, this is what I, I went through, and all of this. And, and then the conversation pivoted, and, and he said, so Danny, what do you do now? And I said, well, I'm pastoring a church not too far from here. And I kid you not, his expression changed instantly. He didn't say a word. He turned around and he walked away. And I wondered, what was it about what I said that made him change from this person that was so excited to see me and then all of a sudden feel unsafe, maybe feel unaccepted, unwanted. And as I continued on as a pastor, I remember that, that, like, that situation just like stayed with me. As, as I got to know more people, you know, that were involved in in drag, and especially people in the LGBTQ community, I, I began to see that um, there were people that didn't feel like they belonged in the church, people that felt they were less than beautiful. And so when I look at Scripture, I know and I know that we all know that God looks at all of us and says that you are loved. That's something that we say over and over again. And I know part of the reason why uh, we say that is, is from the very beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, we look at creation, a passage that is so familiar to us. But, but I want to read from, from a translation that is, is, is different maybe from the translations you've read because it takes the word good and, and shows a, another, another meaning to the word. If you look at the Greek Septuagint version of, of Genesis, you'll note that the word that they use for good is not agathon, which also means good. But there's another word, kalon, which means both beautiful and good. Furthermore, if you read the actual Hebrew word, the, the word that is used there is tob. And, and that word tob means both good and beautiful. So in other words, you can take the Genesis account of creation, and see that the word good has a double meaning. God isn't simply looking at creation and, and saying, let there be light, and there was light, and God says that, that it was good. That the word is so much richer than the translations allow us to have. That the word actually says, no, it's not just good, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So God in creation is, is looking at creation in verse 3 of chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was beautiful. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and gathering of the water and seas, and God saw that they were beautiful. He says that about the earth producing vegetation, and he looks at it and says, that's beautiful. And then in verse 26, when... Adam and Eve was created, God said, we shall make human beings in the image of our likeness. And God saw all that he created, and behold, it was exceedingly 
beautiful. So I imagine God takes a step back in this period of creation. And I imagine that God like pauses, right? And like he's like looking and he says, wow, this is exceedingly beautiful. And I believe that God hasn't stopped doing that. That even now, however broken or damaged or whatever you might feel about yourself being unworthy of love, that God is still looking at you to this day and saying, you are extremely beautiful. But I know we don't always feel that way because we have this modern industry now that is trying to more than ever promotes certain standards of, of beauty that will somehow create a market that will keep us engaged in trying to pursue this like thing that is being presented to us. Whether it's about makeup or um, fast fashion or, or whatever it might be, there's, there's something. And I remember... You know, an old friend of mine, you know, we were talking about beauty, and he was, a, he was an older man, and he said, I remember, like, you know, growing up in the Sean Connery, James Bond era, where men with hairy chests were seen as attractive. And he said, I have a hairy chest, but nowadays it's like I try to cover my chest because that's no longer, like, the norm of, like, beauty for for a lot of men, and, and you know, he, he had something there because, you know, if you look at, you know, even beauty pageant pictures from all over the world from the 1900s, you'll, you'll see that there's different ideas of beauty. But the more we engage now, you'll, you'll begin to see that the beauty is starting to look, you know, more and more into this idealized form, no, no matter what country you're in. I remember back in uh, 2016, um, you know, if you don't know, my wife and I have four um, children, three boys, and, and my, our youngest is a daughter, uh, DJ, Derek, Drew, and Alyssa. They are the sweetest, kindest, most ferocious <laughs> kids, you know, like, you know they, uh, they are kind and yet they are fierce. And if you cross any one of them, um, know that the other three will have that other person's back. They will just, like, protect each other. That's just the way they're wired. And so, you know, I remember um, there was this situation that happened on February 7th, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, My kids weren't into uh, Super Bowl, but they were into the halftime show. And it was because um, Beyonce... Coldplay and Bruno Mars were performing. And if you don't know, Bruno Mars uh, is half Filipino. Um, He's five feet five. And so, you know, there was the special attention that we had, you know, like, wow, Bruno Mars is going to perform. And and so sure enough, they did. And, you know, that halftime show was absolutely amazing. But um, what happened on Twitter was, you know, um, something that I didn't expect. And my eldest son, DJ, who was in college at the time, again, this was back in 2016, um, his friend tweeted, Bruno Mars is amazing. Too bad he's short. And so you know how Twitter goes, right? 
And so my son, DJ, responds. And he says, yeah, because mainstream media definitely needs more people to promote the same standards of beauty we're fed every day. Then my second son, Derek, um, responds to DJ's tweet and says, Drew and I were watching, and I literally said, we're the same height, in a half-joking, half-serious manner, made me proud to be five feet four. Then DJ responds, representation matters. Shout out to Kuya Bruno for being brown and short like the rest of his people. And then Melissa, my 14-year-old girl, um, replies back, beauty standards are just a social construct. You were made beautiful. Embrace your differences. And then Drew, my third son, retweets um, his sister. When your little, sis little sister is smarter than most adults you know. And then Derek responds to that, no one is perfect. Everyone is beautiful. And then as all this was happening, DJ receives this um, private message that says, hey, why are you shaming that original friend of ours who did that original tweet? about Bruno Mars being short. And so DJ showed me the private message and the way he responded to this friend. And he says, I'm sorry you see it as shaming, but I hope you believe me when I say that love was at the heart of it. Love for people that don't get much, much love in our society. I come from a community that has never seen us good enough for reasons that we have no control over. Our color, our height, our noses, the list goes on. And because we're continuously told these things, we believe them. We're almost never on TV, never in movies. We're almost never on the radio or covers of magazines. Do you know what that does to a person? I never grew up believing that I could be the hero in a movie or the scientist that saves the day or the music, musician on stage. We can't ex escape these messages. And I'm at a point in life where I'm realizing that if no one speaks up, then nothing will change. And so to use your terminology, Bruno Mars was publicly shamed. He is publicly shamed almost every time he is on TV, and I am shamed in extension. More importantly, my community is shamed, and if we don't tell ourselves we are beautiful, then no one ever will. And so Alyssa, again, my 14-year-old beautiful daughter, switches from Twitter to Instagram, and she posts this. She says, I've been waiting for my 400th Instagram post on sp to be a special one. This one felt right. I'm Filipino, 5 feet 3, 32A, and a size 3 waist. Flawed? These are some of the things that make me me. What are the things that make you you? Whatever those things are, know that you are beautiful. And I'm looking at this um, post on my phone. I'm thinking, did my 14-year-old girl just post her bra size on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, this is beautiful. That, that my daughter is embracing, my kids are embracing who they are. You know, as someone who photographed all of my kids' senior you know, photos, I remember like, you know, editing the, 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 the pictures, you know, the, the warmth and, and, the, the, um, and everything. And, and I remember like sitting down with my kids, and each and every single one of them said to me, Dad, don't edit my acne. 
I don't want to try to like hide those things. That's part of who I am at this point in time. I need to be okay with that. I remember like thinking, okay, my, my, the brides and grooms that I work with are always asking me to edit all these things. And, and I was like, yeah, that's good. And I, my kids, you know, from an earlier age than I ever did, understood that when culture centers a certain type of person and makes them the hero, um, it communicates a lot. And so after all this was happening, my wife and I had this conversation. And then we, you know, I remember telling her, you know what, um, as I'm getting older, I want to make sure that I never communicate to my kids um, that I'm, I'm not accepting myself. That somehow when we make comments about our body in a negative way, we might not be saying it to them directly, but we are saying it to them indirectly. If I say I'm not okay with my belly, then I'm, I'm telling my kids that having a belly is unattractive, even though I don't say it to them like, like so. And so that's why I need to be careful that I never criticize like the the new the new um, like wrinkles that are that are appearing all over my body, because I want to be at a place where where I can accept it and say, hey, part of growing old is a beautiful thing, and that's a good thing, and I, I don't need to hide it. And somehow the way we talk about ourselves is creating a message to those around us and. And we need to be careful. And so I came across this uh, nonprofit. It's called uh, A Doll Like Me. And it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful nonprofit that, um, and we have some pictures, that makes dolls that resembles um, the child, especially those with public-facing disabilities. And hearing, you know, some of the, the stories of these children just, just like love their doll. And the parents seeing how important representation is. That, that when a kid sees a doll that looks like them, they, they, they like fully embrace it and they're like, yes, this is my doll. This is my favorite doll because this person is like me. It shows us that representation matters. And, and, and you know, the way I grew up, there's this certain type of masculinity that I needed to, to be like, you know, and I could never attain it because I was not that person. The, the athlete, the six-foot-two person who was chiseled or, or the David Beckham, Brad Pitt, Ryan Reynolds type of person, that, that's not me. Earlier, I talked about my friend um, who I met at the, um, my 10-year reunion back in 1994. Um, a few years ago, we actually reconnected to Facebook. He popped up on my feed, and I, 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 you know, I, I friended him. And, and I found out through his Facebook that he was still doing drag, and this time at um, Hamburger Mary's here in Long Beach. And I also found out that he was now receiving treatment for cancer. And so I was wanting to, like, you know, just check in on him and, and see how he was doing. 
And so I, I private messaged them and said, hey, I would love to see one of your shows. And there was like silence. It's like he just didn't respond to me for like months, it seemed like. But then he said, hey, if you want to come watch my show, I'm, I'm performing this Sunday, um, 10 p.m., um, come. And so I had never been to a drag show before. Um, and so at church that Sunday, I was trying to find people to come with me, and no one wanted to go to a, a show at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. And so I, was, I got there, you know, 10 p.m. by myself, and, you know, um, there was no one around. And I realized that you never go on time to a drag show. <laughs> Um, but by the time, you know, the, the night kept um, getting later, um, I mistakenly sat in the front. And so all of a sudden, this place packed up. And then the music went loud. And all of a sudden, the first drag person came. And the music was pulsating. And, and everyone was hooting and hollering and cheering. And this person that was singing was fabulous and just amazing. And, and I recognized, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's my friend. And then, you know, this person was um, dancing and lip syncing. And then all of a sudden, people pulled out their wallets and started throwing money. And I was looking around thinking, where am I? <laughs> I don't belong here. But, but I stayed. And, and I remember, you know, just sitting through, um, you know, just all the different dancers all the different performers. And each time, you know, it was just like remarkable. They were so talented. And, and every time, you know, everyone was celebrating the person on stage. And in my mind, I, I thought, you know what? In my younger days, I would have ridiculed this community. But now I see this, this group of people celebrating my friends. That I imagine that if he did this back in high school, he would have been mocked. But, but now here's a place, here's a sanctuary that says you belong, you are loved, you are celebrated, you aren't just tolerated, but we, we like love you, we adore you. And, and it kept going on. And I remember like looking back at the crowd and thinking, I've never been to a place that was so free from, from the normative beauty construct that was pushing back on hetero cisgender normativity and, and was saying that might be what's beautiful on the outside, but here we celebrate the, the fullness of the diversity of God's humanity and the expression of it. And, and everybody was just like, you know, no matter who you are, gay, straight, non-binary, white, black, brown, you belonged here. And I was like looking back at all this crowd, and then I looked again at my friend who was performing. And it was like the Apostle Peter, you know, when he, he had a meal with the Gentiles for the first time and realized that God was in this place. That's kind of what it felt like, where I looked back at my friend, and I said, oh, my God. She is beautiful. And so I pulled out my wallet and I started throwing the dollar bills. And I started like celebrating and saying, wow, this, this is a beautiful place. I came to support my friend and I left changed. I left changed. And so I, I got home that night and I remember... Just like, just like trying to think, 
about all that had happened. And, and I woke up the next morning just thinking about my kids' Twitter exchanges, going to the bathroom and looking in the bathroom mirror at myself. And for the first time in my life, I looked into my eyes and I said, Danny, you are beautiful. It was at a drag show of all places that I got saved. I got saved from my self-oppression, my self-hatred, my inability to not accept myself. It was like King David being confronted by Nathan the prophet, but this time my prophet was a drag queen. And it was powerful. It was life-changing. I remember a story of my, uh, a teacher friend who related to me about uh, the principal of the school and the conversation she had with her. And she said, Danny, that, you know, we were talking about beauty, and she said, Danny, this reminds me of a story my principal, you know, the principal of my school told me. We were, we were walking, and, and she, the principal said, do you know to this day I try to hide my feet? As a 60-plus-year-old woman, I'm still hiding my feet. And she said, I still remember why. It was because when I was six years old on a playground, this other little girl was making fun of my feet, and from that day, I've been hiding my feet. And this principal said to my friend, imagine that, a principal, a grown-up woman still affected by the voice of a, 16, of a six-year-old girl. We all have that voice in our head, right? For me, it might have been the voice that was saying, you know, brown-skinned Asians are unattractive, but for you, it might actually be the reverse, that, that brown skin is beautiful and being pale is unattractive. But it might be reversed, but it's the same message. It's the same message that you aren't beautiful, that you aren't worthy of love. And, and somehow these, these messages that make us try to like suck up our, our stomach when a, a picture is about to be taken or us hiding a part of our body, it's, it's that same thing that, that is, it, there's shame, right? There's shame at the very bottom of that. What would it look like to live in a world that you can just be free to be yourself? And I'm not telling us to not be healthy. I want us to exercise. I want us to eat right. But, but sometimes those things, you know, those things definitely won't change the fact that we're getting older and and yet we try to cover up with clothing or something else, a part of our body that we feel ashamed of. But you don't have to be ashamed. You are who you are, created in the image of God. And God looks at you now as he did in the days of creation and says and declares to you, you belong, you are beautiful. There is no shame. There is no shame. If there's anyone 
Anything that says you are less than, that is not from God. If anyone, anything says you are not beautiful, that is not from God. You don't have to change. And part of our liberation is being able to understand that our liberation is entwined in the way we perceive other people. That if we can somehow see beauty in the different, in the non-binary, in whatever expressions there might be, and see that the beauty of God exists in everything, then we can look at all the different parts of our own bodies and, and say, yes, this is of God. I belong. I am beautiful. And so right now I want to call up to the worship team and have to come up and they're going to play a song for us. But as they're playing that song, I, I want us to enter into a, a period of like um, of reflection of, of Ecclesiastes 3.11 that says he has made everything beautiful in its time. And I, I believe that time is now that God wants us to embrace our beauty. And so in your mind, I want you to think about, is, is there a part of you that you are hiding, that you are embarrassed about? It might be your identity. It might be your body. It might be a mistake that you have made. But I want this sanctuary to be a sanctuary, to be a place where um, we can reflect and embrace ourselves because if we can't embrace the flaws in our own body, I guarantee we can't fully embrace it in the other person, no matter how, what we say. Our liberation is wrapped up with one another. And so as the song is being sung, you could just close your eyes. If you want to sing along, you can. But reflect on the words. Reflect on the words. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You
As we transition into uh, communion, if someone can um, help me bring the table uh, behind me. If I can have the um, communion servers here. I'd like us to um, reflect on this table again. Um, that is Jesus' table. Jesus is the host. We, as Ryan said last week, we are the guests. No one can deny anyone um, the right to come to the table. You all belong. You all are, are welcomed here. You are dearly beloved. You are beautiful. And so come. Um, just know that this is a celebration that God is saying to each and every one of us. You are a part of me. You are a part of one another because of the cross, because of Jesus. Come when you're ready.